following presentation by Wealth Quarterback LLC, WQL, is intended for general information purposes only. No portion of the presentation serves as the receipt of or as a substitute for personalized investment advice from WQL or any other investment professional of your choosing. Please see additional important disclosure at the end of this presentation. A copy of WQL's current written disclosure brochure discussing our advisory services and fees is available upon request or at www.jalinski.org. Hey, I'm Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback here, welcoming you to the very first episode of our podcast. Today, we're diving into a new playbook for financial planning. We'll explore why traditional financial planning often misses the mark and how a well-rounded approach can help you tackle debt, save smartly, and grow your wealth. We've got a lot to cover, so let's kick things off and start giving you a winning game plan. This is the Financial Quarterback Podcast. Oh, hi, I'm Josh Jelinski, a noted financial advisor during the week, voted by Forbes the last three years, one of the top 100 financial security professionals in the country. I've been doing this since 2005, so about 18 years in the financial service business. I've been on the radio since 2008. I own an SEC registered investment advisor. We manage hundreds of millions of dollars, and I'm here to help you grow, protect, and secure your wealth as we focus on holistic financial planning, risk management, tax strategies, estate planning, college planning, retirement planning, how to give money to the people you love and the causes you love. And a lot of people worried about the economy, a lot of people worried about What's going to happen to their IRAs, 401ks? Is my 401k going to become a 201k? We will help. So one of the things that really got me into financial planning, you, you may not have known this, my dad nearly died when he was 40, had a heart attack, had no disability insurance. Then if there's somebody that I could learn from, it was my father, but not by doing what he did. So my parents uh, got penniless from a series of disabilities. My mom uh, had to put food on the table. She had to make two jobs. My father was bedridden, punctured his lung in a car accident. So uh, he, he's sort of like the biblical story of Job, had like a horrible decade. Then his bank that he worked for, you know, he was a banker, but it wasn't like he was an investment banker making a lot of money. He was a bank manager and he had a pension back for Jersey Shore savings and loan, a small little savings loan. And then they got bought by a bigger bank. And that bigger bank said, hey, you know what? We have this thing called a 401k and you can take your pension and you can make millions in the 401k and uh, you can invest in Vanguard, invest in cheap index funds. You know what? Everybody's doing it. So why don't you, Bill? So my dad did that, lost all of his money in the 2000 to 2002 crash after sort of the happy 90s, which was like the roaring 20s. Now, their finances being a mess, did not impact them being good parents. They were great parents. Did not impact their faith. They had great faith. So we lost everything due to following the financial planning wisdom of the day, which by the way, still persists today. You still hear it. Buy term, invest a difference. Max out your 401k. Buy index funds. He did a lot of those things. He wasn't a dummy. But he didn't have a financial model. So I don't know if you know my story. I was a, uh, a master of divinity student 
at Westminster Theological Seminary. And I had to learn Greek and Hebrew in a summer. So I was recruited by a Wall Street headhunter who would go to seminaries because he said, hey, you know, you love people, you want to be a pastor, or you want to have some ministry mind, and you're smart enough because you got accepted into this seminary. So basically, if you could learn Hebrew in a summer, you could learn how to trade stocks, trade options, all those things. So Pastor Bill, uh, he's now a pastor, which is kind of funny, recruited me out of seminary into a Wall Street firm. But it wasn't due to like making money. Money Making money was not my objective. It was really to be sort of a marketplace minister and help people avoid what happened to my parents. Sort of as we transitioned to this whole concept of building wealth, which is really the whole purpose of episode one. How do you build wealth in, in your financial journeys? I met with, his name is Pastor Bill Devlin, he went by Devlin back then, you know, Madonna. Uh, you know, you got to meet this guy. He, he's quite a character. And, you know, Bono was going by Bono. He wanted to be memorable, so he went by Devlin. And now he goes by, you know, Pastor Bill. But this one named fellow, Pastor Bill introduced me to a model. And this financial model is how you build wealth and protect wealth. Invented in 1969 by a good friend of mine, Bob Castellone, who was a mentor of mine in the financial services industry. You know what? He thought all financial planning was sort of like dumb. And, and to be frank, I did too. I didn't go to, when I was a kid, I, I, people said, well, how did you go from seminary to getting all your financial licenses and then helping people with their money? Was that a big transition? No, it wasn't. Because when I was 10, I was like Alex P. Keaton the Michael J. Fox character on Family Ties. I traded stock at 10. I, I enjoyed not only helping people, but I, I enjoyed the financial markets. I had a love for learning about taxation, stocks, which I still have to this day. But I always felt that financial planning was always based on hypothetical projections, which may or may not come true. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, well, you know, it worked for that person. Will it work for me? And my number one tip for wealth building of any age, when you're 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, is to get a financial model. So some would say, you know, this show could be called an intro to financial planning. I don't want to use that word planning because sometimes it's been like tarnished. You know, you think of the boring lecturer, kind of like the, the Ben Stein character in the Wonder Years. And when I met with Pastor Will, he showed me about this model. And what was beautiful about the model is it accounted for the wealth eroding factors that destroyed my father's financial future. And by the way, I've been following the principles behind this model for the last 20 years. And the principles of the model made me a millionaire by 27, helped me predict the market crash of 08. I was like chicken little. I was a 23-year-old warning people the sky was falling, the sky was falling, and people said, eh. then it fell in 08, and I looked like a genius, and my business took off. So it wasn't until 2008 till my business really blossomed in the crash of 08 because the model was teaching people you lead with protection. So if you're a 
new person just starting out, listening. If you're an old person, just listening. If you're middle-aged, if you're retired, if you've got a lot of money, you don't got a lot of money, get a financial model. So if somebody says, have a plan, uh, and there's a really heavy math equation that goes into this. And I don't want to cause your eyes to glaze over and to gloss over the formula that most financial planners follow is what one might call the arithmetic formula. And by the way, this is what changed my life. The phrase money is not math and math is not money. Because I saw that my dad did the math. He was no dummy. You may meet some of the most intelligent people you know are engineers, accountants. Why aren't they millionaires? Why, why aren't they worth $5 million? Because they followed the traditional financial planning formula, which we could call TFP, traditional financial planning. The TFP formula is wealth equals the money you have times the rate of return that you're given times time. And that is the approach that 99% of financial planners follow. Some variation on that theme. And that is why 99% of people are not financially successful. Now you may say, I'm a financial planner. I mean the best thing for my clients. I'm a smart guy. I'm my CPA. I don't care. We have CFAs, CFPs, CPAs, all that work for me. So I really respect the education. But they are taught in the traditional mode of thinking. So another way, it's not so much that the arithmetic formula is wrong, it's that it doesn't account for wealth eroding factors. So you could really get really crazy on here, but I'll just be simple. Wealth equals money times rate times time, minus all these things that we call wealth eroding factors. Disability affected my dad, right? Market risk affects people. Long-term care events, inflation. My wonderful new producer, Josh Fisher, young guy, you know, I don't know, he might be like 30, whatever. 31. 31. I mean, you grew up you didn't even know what inflation was until like three, four years ago. And to be honest, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm my forties. I didn't really, I mean, there was big inflation in the eighties when I was a kid, but I didn't feel that. I just heard about it. We've experienced true inflation. That's another wealth eroding factor. But I remember for like 10 years, 20 years, inflation wasn't even like a thought. Like uh, inflation planning was like 2% in the financial planning calculators, even the good ones that were more robust. So the arithmetic formula that undergirds traditional financial planning, it's not that it's a farce, it's just that it's misguided and it lacks accounting for the wealth eroding factors. And I would say 99% of talking heads, I would say you name a talking head who you listen to for finance, they are generally steering people astray unknowingly because they're following the old formula. So you're a good little boy and girl in school. You go, you do your budget, right? You get out of debt. You do the debt-free screen. Now you're 31, you have no debt. 
if you're lucky enough, right? And then you get disabled at 32, you lose everything now because you didn't have disability insurance. That could destroy people's lives more than almost anything. Hey, this is Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback. We'll be back after these messages. Tune in to the financial quarterback, Josh Jelinski of the Jelinski Advisory Group and learn how to protect your financial future during these turbulent times. Looking to lower your taxes or need help securing your financial future? Then Josh and his team are the people for you. They're experts in financial economics with one mission in mind, to protect you and your investments. From their 27-point checklist to their one-of-a-kind financial quarterback approach, they help you achieve financial health and guide you through the hard times of high inflation, booming recessions, and stock market meltdown. For financial security, call them now, 888-988-5674, and get your free copy of Josh's book, The Retirement Reality Check. Traditional financial planning has various objectives. It is seeking to meet a need or a goal right? So you want to send your kids to college, you do a 529. You want to retire, you have a 401k. Our plan does not seek to have just these piecemeal meeting needs and goals, but we want to have a comprehensive holistic plan that maximizes someone's maximum financial potential. And by the way, I would argue that if you're just cobbling together a 529 and a 401k and you don't have a model, you're going to completely fail because you're going to be this concoction of various products and you're gonna wake up 20 years from now and go, why am I broke? Well, because you did what everybody else did. So traditional financial planning, TFP, meets needs and goals. It's based on the accumulation wealth formula that I call the arithmetic formula. There are no cost recovery methods in the financial modeling process. It's just save this here, save this here, some good principles, but generally it's not about cost recovery. Cost recovery is big. Relinquishing control to financial institutions. Traditional financial planning is all about you know what? Pay for your kid's college with a 529. You have zero control for 18 years. So if you see, and I got this from my dad, in that if you talk to somebody who's really smart, but not financially successful, they will be marred with regret. So I grew up my whole life. My dad's really an amazing guy. So I don't want you to think he was this loser, but he thought he was at times financially. And he was a winner. All of his kids love him. His wife loved him. You know, he was a winner as man. But just financial things evaded him. And one of the things I always learned was he would drive by the neighborhood and he would see a development that when he was a member of the Rotary Club that, okay, this guy who was no smarter than him bought that property because he used 30 grand to buy this place on the bay that's now worth, you know, millions of dollars. 
My dad said, oh, I could have done that. Well, why didn't you do it? I would say, you know, why didn't, oh, I didn't have the money. Why didn't you have the money? Oh, I put my 401k, put it in this. I couldn't get it. I, I had no control. He relinquished control of the financial institutions. Now, I work with financial institutions. They are a necessary evil, but you got to understand that some of the products that are created, like a 401k, great for a tax deduction, but it may be the impediment to ready use of that money someday. So traditional financial planning, you relinquish control of your money to other institutions. You defer taxes. You 401k, defer, defer, defer. You talk to your account, what do they tell you? You defer your tax. Minimum protection against risk. Insurance is kind of a necessary evil. It's not talked about as a real part of the wealth building process, trust, things like that. You want to conserve your estate. You don't necessarily enjoy it. You want to build this pot of gold at the end of your working rainbow because you might need it someday. Minimum flexibility. No verification through economic principles. Well, what's different about our approach? Instead of meeting needs and goals, we're, we're seeking your maximum financial potential. Instead of the accumulation of wealth formula based on arithmetic, we're basing it on physics and geometry. Our formula, if you want it simply, is wealth equals the velocity of money, which is called MV2, times rate times time. So how many uses can you get on a dollar? So an example of that would be, let's say you save 200 grand for your kids. Just talk to somebody the other day. I saved 250 grand for my kids' colleges. And it's all on a 529. He's all proud. You know, he's going to save. And I know when people want to hear what I'm saying, and I know when they don't. I just didn't want to, you know, upset the guy's apple cart. But I was thinking, oh, sucker. He could have taken that 250 that was in the 529. I'm a financial advisor. I don't have a 529 for any of my kids. He could take that 250. He could buy a million dollar apartment complex that will help pay for his kid's college. Getting more write-offs, more use of the money. He can buy that apartment complex in a state that has in-state tuition. He can emancipate his kids when they turn 18. The kids can then take over as landlords. They can invite their friends to then pay rent. That's an example of velocity of money. Now you're taking that 250 that was for college. You're now acquiring an asset. You're getting rents. You're getting lower tuition. And oh, by the way, you're also getting appreciation in real estate. Now it's easier said than done. I get that. But the point is just having an open mind to geometry, financial geometry instead of financial math will make you smarter. It will have you look for new opportunities with your wealth. Cost recovery methods. One of the biggest things we talk about, people have wealth and they lose it to, maybe they're paying six grand in extra accounting fees they don't need. That's cost recovery method. So as soon as you get money, you're going to see all these people want your money. Oh, here's 10 grand for this. Here's, I'm always paying these people. But somebody to help you with getting in shape. You pay a financial planner like you would pay somebody to help you with getting in shape. 
and because that financial planner has a rare skill set. That's the other thing. It's not about beating the market. That's, a, that's why you don't pick a financial planner. It's about learning these principles that are going to help you for the rest of your life, that are going to help you no matter where you're at. But the number one thing with financial planning, I don't care how old you are, is understand TFP, traditional financial planning, versus HFP, you might call it holistic financial planning, or financial modeling, or macroeconomic financial modeling, MFM. But the whole idea is, on the financial quarterback, we give you that game plan to macroeconomically verify what you're doing and not just trusting other people with your money. So we do that by model. The model is five components. Number one, protection. Full protection is critical for guarding against unforeseen events that can strike you at any time and derail you from your financial goals. So P, protection. Number one. Number two, savings. Cash reserves are needed as a safety net to provide additional protection or as a buffer and save for designated purposes. Three, growth. This is where you'll build long-term wealth and income for future uses. Four, cash flow. Money coming in, money going out. For optimal financial health, it is imperative that you understand your cash flow and the circulation of various types of money that will be both strategic and vital. And lastly, debt window. Debt plays a unique role in your overall financial situation. You want to eliminate bad debt, you may want to keep or use good debt strategically. But debt should only be used strategically and minimized or even eliminated over time. And that, my friends, is the five biggest components of the financial model. Welcome back to Extra Points, where we tackle your financial questions, dive into current money matters, or explore what's buzzing in the financial world, all based on what you, our listeners, are curious about. Josh, what do we have today? Tipping culture, how it's gotten out of hand. It's one of the biggest topics people bring up. Okay, let's talk. Tipping. Back in the day, I was cheap. And I was taught that when you go to a restaurant, you're supposed to tip 18%. 15% was the sort of standard. Then 15 became 18. Then 18 became 20. Now, and that's okay. So my personal tipping rule is if somebody does a really good job, like they're the best, you could tip them 20 to 25%. Standard service, 18%, substandard, 15%. But really, out of respect to a waiter or waitress at a dining establishment, you're supposed to tip because that's where their funds come from. That's what I was taught. Everybody was taught. I think that's pretty reasonable. I don't know why you now have to tip takeout people. Like they're doing nothing. You now have to tip coffee people. Like what's, you're already paying $8 for a coffee. That establishment should pay its employees. You shouldn't have to rely on a tip. So that's my reconciliation with the tip is I'm going back to old school tipping standards. So what say you, Josh Fisher? Uh, it makes me feel awkward. I feel like the addition of the iPad with tipping 
has made me even less want to interact with people because I don't know about you, but like you look at the iPad and it starts at like 18 to 20%. And this is for like a coffee. And it's just like, I'm getting a cold brew. You're just pouring it into a cup. Honestly, I think the prompt irritates most people. In most cases, consumers face more opportunities to tip for a wider range of services than ever before. This trend is referred to as tip creep. But recent surveys show shoppers are experiencing tip fatigue and starting to actually tip less. I agree with that, while resenting tipping prompts even more. The terms may be understating it. It's It's already gone to Cornell University. Professor Michael Lynn, it's more than fatigue, it's irritation. It's not tip creep, it's tip gallop. Two-thirds of Americans have a negative view about tipping. According to a recent report by Bankrate, particularly when it comes to contactless and digital payment prompts, with predetermined options that range from 15 and 35% for each transaction, and 30% said tipping culture has gotten out of control. It's like, why should I tip? Because Uber's not paying their drivers enough. It's like Instacart. Instacart, you got to tip. Then you got to pay fees. Then you got to pay. No, Instacart should just pay their drivers more. Uber should pay their drivers more. You have to go out of your way not to tip. And that's what a lot of people resent. Yep. We've had the option of tipping for a long time because of tip jars. But you kind of ignore it. (laughs) The technology is making it harder to say no. And it's making it harder to tip a small amount. During the pandemic, there was a groundswell of thankfulness. Now a lot of people are saying that's enough. Mm -hmm. I agree. I'm one of those. Like, if you really believe you want that as a part of your cost of doing business, add it to your food. Now, this is interesting. While tipping at full-service restaurants has held steady, Tips at quick service restaurants fell to a year, a five year low of 16%. I guess 16% of the people tip, or the average tip is 16.7. Because if the average tip is 6.7, that's still pretty good. Forget freaking takeout. Yeah, like, do you, do you tip a takeout person? Are you supposed to? I don't think so. I don't know. That's, well, you would tip a pizza delivery guy. Or lady, right? Yeah. But they're delivering to you, though. You don't tip if they're making it and you're going to pick it up. That's that's all the work. I would agree with that, but I've done that. But let's say you get delivery because of this dumb app. But $200. So let's say you buy delivery. $50 delivery to your house. What's your tip? 10 bucks. You're lying. Because you just complain no, about tipping. You're probably not, like you're not six, tipping. seven bucks. Yeah, yeah there you go. Because <laughs> you just <laughs> complain about it. You give them five bucks. Come on. Um, <laughs> but but that's the thing, though. I think now we might give 10 bucks. Tipping the pizza delivery guy 20% seems high. Does it not? Yeah. But I think you're right, though. It is creep. It creeped from five bucks to 10. And maybe you are doing six or seven. You're probably doing five. Like, you know, you were talking about Instacart when people use Postmates or they use Uber Eats, all these extra fees are on, they think those are the tips, but they're not the tips. 
I, them, if anything, it screws over the drivers. But that's their fault. Like they should have a union against Uber Eats. Uber Eats is horrible. Uber yeah. Eats and DoorDash, really, I don't even know what the point is because the food arrives cold, the coffee arrives cold. Like you ever get Uber Eats Starbucks? Nope. It's the worst. You would think big company like that would find a way to keep things hot. They have yet to find that. One of the things, P.F. Chang's moved to our town. We didn't have a P.F. Chang's. And one of the reasons I like ordering P.F. Chang's is they don't use DoorDash. They usually use their driver. So I will tip that person because it's hot. DoorDash, you know, if I have to do DoorDash, I feel like with DoorDash, you're, you're like the 10th guy on the order. And I've tried to hack it. Like, okay, if I tip more, am I going to get hotter and fresher? And it doesn't really work that way. I got another thing about tipping for you, though, that uh, I've noticed a lot lately going to restaurants. It's the restaurant's surcharge. And a lot of the times it'll say for health and wellness or healthcare surcharge, and it's an optional charge, but you have to go out of your way to tell the waiter, I don't want this on my bill. I mean, I wouldn't mind if they force a 15. If you're going to do that, just force a 15% tip or a 10% tip. Yeah, some places do uh, an 18%, which I like. I don't want to, you know, don't give me the option. Just tell me what I got to tip. No, I don't like the force because if it's 18, I don't give the 20 then. I'm like, if you're going to do that, because my my standard is usually 18. Yeah. And 20 if they're good, 25 if they're real good. You know, if they're like the best waiter you've ever seen in your life, you know, you're right though. I hate, the healthcare surcharge. So I guess yeah. that's trying to guilt you. Like, do you not want this waiter to give healthcare to his child? <laughs> yeah. It, that's really rude. I don't like that. Yep. It's like guilt. I'd like this fee removed. Restaurants should have like a suggestion complaint drawer so they know you're happy or not happy. But it shouldn't be, it should be like blind so you, they don't like spit in your food. So tipping culture sucks. Hey there, listeners. Are you up against a financial obstacle or have a burning money question? Here's your shot to not get sacked. Get your questions answered live on the Financial Quarterback Podcast. Just dial 888-988-JOSH and leave us a message with your question or write us an email at info at financialquarterback.us. I might just answer your question live on the air. That's 888-988-5674, 888-988-JOSH, or email us info at financialquarterback.us. Leave us a message and let me help create your game-winning financial plan. The previous presentation by Wealth Quarterback LLC, WQL, was intended for general information purposes only. No portion of the presentation serves as the receipt of or as a substitute for personalized investment advice from WQL or any other investment professional of your choosing. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and it should not be assumed that the future performance of any specific investment or investment strategy or any non-investment related or planning services, discussion, or content will be profitable, be suitable for your portfolio or individual situation, or prove successful. WQL is neither a law firm nor accounting firm, and no portion of its services should be construed as legal or accounting advice. No portion of the video content should be construed by a client or prospective client as a guarantee that he or she will experience a certain level of results if WQL is engaged or continues to be engaged to provide investment advisory services. 
A copy of WQL's current written disclosure brochure discussing our advisory services and fees is available upon request or at www.jalinski.org.